warning, the following episode is graphic and is not suitable for children. This episode heavily pertains to themes that may be upsetting, including torture and sexual assault. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Murder Library, episode 10. I'm Megan. I'm Zach. I'm Olivia. I'm Jimmy. I'm Taylor. I'm Austin. Uh, and we got a super fun one. This is going to be part one. Um, so we haven't done a submersive intro in a while, but this one we do. So I'm asking you guys to close your eyes. Okay. Listen close to my voice if anybody listening has background noise, turn it off real quick. So I want you to imagine that you are a woman in her early 20s. You have been kidnapped, driven hours and hours from your home. You are now naked, blindfolded, and gagged. You are chained to a bread, bread, a bed spread eagle. Suddenly you hear the click of a voice recorder tape. And a male voice starts talking. You hear, and I quote, Hello there, bitch. Are you comfortable right now? I doubt it. Wrists and ankles chained, gagged, probably blindfolded. You are disoriented and scared, too, I would imagine. Perfectly normal under the circumstances. For a little while, at least, you need to get your shit together and listen to this tape. It is very relevant to your situation. I'm going to tell you in detail why you have been kidnapped, what's going to happen to you, and how long you'll be here. You can open your eyes, though. That is what happens to each one of our victims when they get into Fuck. this First thoughts, is, uh, Coachella is pretty rough this year. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Pretty rough. Um, so that is just the beginning paragraph of this tape. There is 45 minutes of that. Holy. Wow. It gets gruesome, dark, it gets bleak. You can find it online. I'm only going to have a few snippets here and there because it's, Wait, it's uh, rough. Of the actual audio? You There's not actual audio of him. There's some of it, like snippets, but the full thing is not out there, but the, the transcript is out there. Oh. So, it's rough. My feels. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We're strapped in. So... <laughs> We're going to take it back a bit. We're going to start on November 6, 1939. Oh, pretty in, far back. For the beginning. In Beline, <laughs> New Mexico, where a new baby boy is born. Aww. Named David Parker Ray. His parents are Cecil and Nettie Ray, who were very poor. Lived in Nettie's parents' home at the time, a.k.a. David's grandparents. He was pretty much raised by his grandparents since his abusive and alcoholic father decided to just abandon the family when David was 10. He left him to Albuquerque. He um, would later drift into David's life, like in and out, come in randomly, abuse him some more, and leave again. His mother, Nettie, just couldn't handle the stress of raising a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old. The 8-year-old is Peggy, David's sister. So the kids are currently moved into the grandparents' home in Mountaineer, New Mexico. Can I, can I interject real quick? Of course. And just say that all these people's names are all first names so far. 
Like, I haven't heard a middle or last name in this whole... Okay, sorry. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So, David Parker Ray is way more neglected than he is physically abused, but he is physically abused. Um, both by his parents and his grandparents. Um, his mom didn't give a shit, obviously, which is why she left him with his grandparents. Um, his grandpa, Ethan Ray, is very abusive very strict. First names. <laughs> <laughs> the grandparents' household was very oppressive and I believe, like, pretty fundamentalist. Mm-hmm. Um, so Oof. any misbehavior meant violent beatings. Mm. His grandpa was 70, Oof. had strict rules, and as I said, either you follow rules or you were physically disciplined. So in school, David was tall, awkward, and very shy. He had issues fitting in. Um, and issues talking to girls, so he was severely bullied. So not only was he beaten by his dad, then his grandpa, and now his fellow school kids. Um, he have, was... you, have you been spying on me since I was 13 years old? Hopefully you don't turn out yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling your time's a little bit different. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> hopefully this is where the similarities stop. Yeah. <laughs> and then Jimmy discovered music. Um, David would spend most of his time on his grandparents' ranch, just kind of cementing his loner personality. Um, when his dad would randomly pop, pop in, he would bring with him, like, magazines for David. But not just any magazines, but yeah. torture, sadomasochistic magazines. Oh, oh that's probably Super awesome. normal. Where's expecting porn? Where did you be honest? Well, that's what, yeah. 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 So it's just, that's why you know. I made that noise. So yeah. what what year are we in right now? 1939. Well, he we're, was born in 1939, right? so this is oh. like a few years later. That's right. Like, there we go. Yeah, but Sorry. where 10, do you 13. go in that time and age to subscribe to those sort of things? <laughs> is oh. there like a door to door salesman? Well, snuff was. How would you like that's this? A, a very real. Magazine. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. Like snuff films. True. True. Yeah. Stuff films come into play later. Oh. So, oh. Right. Oh. Keep it rolling. Olivia calling <laughs> Shirley. <laughs> Poor Shirley. Nice one. So, Peggy, his sister, remembers finding lewd and violent porn in his room when he is just 13. Probably given to his by his father, by the way. Um, she also found erotic photos showing bondage and some sadomasochistic drawings. David loved to draw. And this also comes into play later. Uh, At least you had a stuck. creative outlet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh. yeah. <laughs> um, so something else that kind of comes into play later in David's life is he spends hours writing in journals. Um, he spent too much time in this kind of fantasy world that involved torture and bondage and rape and murder. Oh my. Um, so this alone time on the ranch, David would also drink and do drugs. Um, Shame. Shame. (laughs) So later it's said by a few people close to David that when he was a teen, he bragged about his first murder. This murder was of a young woman that he held at knife point, tied up to a tree, tortured her, raped her, and murdered her. Well, um, fuck. Nothing's ever come of that, so we don't know how much of that is actually true, or if that was just some talking, living in his fantasy world, or what, but, um... Still, dude, shouldn't be yeah. having those fantasies. Yeah, that's the first one, so it's yeah. only gonna yeah. escalate from yeah. there. <laughs> yep. God. Just you wait. 
Um, after high school, David worked as a car mechanic. Then he joined the army, began working as a mechanic for them. He ends up getting an honorable discharge. I couldn't find much on that, so it's just an honorable discharge. He ends up married and divorced a total of four times. He has two children from these marriages, a son named David Jr. and a daughter named Glenda Jean Ray, who goes by Jesse Ray. Jesse Ray. <laughs> Jesse Ray. How do you get Jesse from that? Jean? I don't know. I have no clue. When his daughter is three, David decides to leave the family and join the hippies. This is in 1969. David is 30. He hitchhikes across New Mexico with some blonde girl named Sally. The two shack up with some uh, with a truck stop owner and his girlfriend. Okay. Sally winds up pregnant. She even ends up confiding to the girlfriend of the truck stop owner that David took her virginity. I don't know her age. I could not find that. Um, but he took her virginity, and this was how she ended up pregnant. Days after Oof. this conversation between the two girls, Sally and all their stuff are gone. When the truck stop guy and his girlfriend asked David about this, he just said that she was a free spirit. Nobody thought much of it, and even though this was completely out of her character. So who knows what happened with Sally? Um, oh, Lord. Oh, my. David winds up growing bored of this hippie lifestyle and reconciles with his current wife. Moves back in, starts to pretend to be this great father again. All the while getting deeper into the, like, underground bondage scene. And, like, just growing more into this sadomasochistic, violent asshole. This guy, this guy stays busy. Like, yeah, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and nothing wrong with that stuff, but that's, no, that's, that's going a little bit too far. He, he takes yeah. it a step too far. Yeah. He takes it away from safe, sane, and consensual. Yeah. 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 This, not so much. SSC. <laughs> he winds up moving to Elephant Butte, New Mexico, after all his four failed marriages. And this is Wait. sometime in the 80s. Elephant Butte? Yeah. B-U-T-T-E. Because uh, that elephant's a butte. I'm just going to say elephant butt. <laughs> Maybe it's yeah. a beautiful elephant, so it's an elephant butte. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Maybe. That's a much yeah. more innocent take on that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cheers. That's the only innocent thing that place is now known for. <laughs> okay. God. <laughs> <laughs> he gets a home at 513 Bass Road. He gets a job as a park ranger in Elephant Butte State Park. He works as a mechanic for them. Um, his coworkers all say he was very normal, chill, charming, quiet. That David would even go out of his way to do favors for people. Um, Elephant Butte, it's a great place to hide dark secrets. It's small. It's got the one of the largest state parks. Next to the park is one of the largest man-made reservoirs in the U.S., Elephant Butte Lake, which is very deep and very algae-filled. It is 23 miles long, 3 to 4 miles wide, and in some places it's 90 to 100 feet deep. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, there's good. also a vast desert, and there's caves and canyons all right there by Elephant Butte. So it's all just like I want to go there. Yeah, it yeah. sounds great. It's all just perfect hiding spots there. I think if I remember correctly, throughout the year, there's like... 1,500 people that live there, but, like, during peak tourist season, like, 100,000 people go for the lake oh. to see the largest man-made reservoir. Okay, so we got, go we got a reservoir, we got the lake, we got desert, we got caves, 
This is like perfect murder terrain. Oh, yeah. This person, ugh. Mm-hmm. Um, he also apparently, like, threw crazy parties, which we'll briefly talk about later. Um, no one in his life really knew that he was into sexual sadism, that he would also, you know, kidnap young girls and to satisfy his cravings. AKA, the only way he could get off would be if the other person was going through immense pain and suffering. The girls he would kidnap, he would sell them to slavery in Mexico, which was just two hours away. Fuck. Wow. Jeez. Yeah, you weren't. It's just like it's, here's this really bad thing, and here's this little cliff note. Of how yeah. the beca- oh. God. You gotta take it yeah, away. That's pretty rough. If you're gonna murder, make a business out of it. I yeah. guess. It's... Oh, just wait. <laughs> oh, no. In in 1984, he apparently would boast about his vast knowledge of the lake. That he would spend countless weekends on his sailboat, which is true. He loves water sports. He loves water parties, fishing. <laughs> In this lake, there's also, there are, like, types of catfish that are 80 pounds, and they're omnivores, so they would eat Oh, yeah, they have teeth. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, big catfish devour everything. Um, It's also reported that he was kind to animals. He would often take in injured animals just to help them out and recover. I don't know how much of this I believe, based on something I call bullshit on that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You either you're, you're either Steve Irwin or you're just everybody else. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's maybe he just didn't want to add animal cruelty to the, to the list. Guys. Oh wait, like, maybe. Oh okay. Like, I, I take it there's more to this story. There's something that happens. All right, all right. So, okay. so it's still strapped in. So if this guy's a serial killer, then it's it's most likely that he probably killed animals first. Given it's statistics, possible. it's possible. But he also at one point owned a ranch and like took care of cattle and pigs and stuff. But yeah, we'll see. Well, all the animals go to slaughter on ranches, yeah. but it's okay. Yeah, yeah let's. We'll see. We ain't there yet. So <laughs> David would tell friends who all thought he was just being hypothetical. It's never hypothetical. It's never that he knew the best parts to hide a body. That he knew that he would need to cut them open to release any gases. Practically cut them to, and like practically gut them so that way no new gases would form, fill them with stone, wrap them in chicken wire, and drop them into the lake, and let those omnivore catfish have them. And because the waters are so deep and algae-filled that um, after whatever the fish have, there would just be nothing to be seen or found. It just you know, hypothetical conversation. I'm never eating catfish I mean, again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're definitely bottom feeders. Oh, yeah, for it's, sure. It's for all sure. top-tier sea fish for me yeah. from here on yeah. out. Yeah. There's definitely a reason why people are like, I don't eat bottom feeders. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> oh, my. They're the yeah. fish and the pigs in the water. Yeah, exactly. Pigs um... It's also said that at some point, David contacted the Viagra company to try to help them, like, see if, like, maybe they could help him with being able to have an erection without hurting somebody. He wanted to know that if the pill would help him with his problem, he just wanted to find a normal way to have sex, guys. Just a fun little fact. I take it that because at least he was we're having this conversation, that's not the course it's that... It's not the course that Okay, well, womp womp. So, Jessie Ray, let's talk about her for a second. Oh, yeah, his, his kid. His kid. His offspring. Yeah. The spawn. Well, kid. We don't really hear much about David Jr. But Jessie Ray, she rarely saw her father growing up because he traveled a lot. He was a drifter. Um, when she was young, she witnessed his masochistic lifestyle because he just didn't really hide it. He wasn't, like, secretive about it to his family, I guess. So she grew up kind of tolerant to it. She even grew to have 
kind of similar cravings for this oh, deviancy man. that she saw. That's really bad, Dad. Yeah. Daddy issues there. Oh yeah. Um, when she was <laughs> nineteen, when David lived in Fence Lake, New Mexico, um, he owned some farmland. He raised cattle and stuff. Um, this is when she kind of first sees a problem with his lifestyle. She saw a prostitute engaging in a bondage torture session with her father. One, ew, like, I don't, like, no. You should not see your father in that situation. (laughs) This woman ended up screaming for her life, running naked from the home in terror. Foreshadowing, by the way. Jesse ended up filing a complaint with the FBI because not only this incident, but apparently a bunch of women were going missing or were murdered in the area. Um, Jesse gave a sworn statement. Oh, I was gonna say you always have the one that got away. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's always that one. Um, the agents listened to tale after tale of how David kidnapped women, tortured them, just to sell them into sexual slavery in New Mexico. Not New Mexico, Mexico. Um, David was brought in, questioned. Apparently, he was gleeful and didn't really hide his deviant lifestyle or um, how he was very into like the bondage scene and stuff. But without any evidence or anything to really incriminate him, he was released, and the complaint the complaint was closed. So he, he, he like just ba- basically spat in their faces. Nobody nobody cares about yeah no. prostitutes complaints. Yeah. No, anything against prostitutes like, is just yeah, like they're workers. they don't matter. Yeah, that's um, one of the reasons why they get targeted by yeah. Oh yeah, people like this. Um, a friend of Jesse Ray's said, "Quote." This is like the last time Jesse tried to break away to say to her dad, no, this is wrong. She reported him, and then what happens? They didn't do anything. End quote. This time was the only time that she kind of confronted him about all of this. Um, it's believed after this she kind of started to embrace her father, uh, who literally uh-huh. never kept secrets from her. People would even begin to describe their relationship as being close, uncomfortably close. No. Uh-huh. Game of Thrones. A few years later, <laughs> a few years Demonetized. later, Jesse gives birth to a daughter, and she has to deny rumors that the father is her father. Oh, come on, no. Uncle Grandpa. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about another woman that God. enters David Parker Ray's life. One, Cindy Hendy. Cindy Hendy. <laughs> God, the names like of this episode. <laughs> Are we again? New Mexico. New Mexico. Okay. Yep. Cindy Hendy. Cindy Hendy. She was born February 6, 1960, so she's a bit younger than David. She was born in Seattle, Washington. On a speck of dust. (laughs) Her childhood was... (laughs) This isn't Cindy Lou Who. That's that's all I'm thinking right now. (laughs) I'm sorry. Her childhood was also a bit of a nightmare. She was ignored, neglected throughout her childhood by her beauty pageant mom. Cindy wasn't in the beauty pageants her mom was. Oh, poor Cindy Hindi. Poor Cindy um, Cindy was also psychologically and sexually abused throughout her childhood. Her stepdad sexually abused her, and when Cindy was 11, she finally built up courage to tell her mom. But, of course, her stepdad, stepdad denied it, and her mom chose to believe the stepdad. So much so that the logical next step that she took would be for when Cindy's 12 to just kick her out of the house. 
Oh, wow. When she's 12. Wow. When she's 12. Wow. Holy shit. Okay. Parent so Cindy, here. now oh. living on the streets, because she has nowhere to go, she starts dealing and doing cocaine at 12. Throughout okay. her years to come, she would get into awful and violent relationships with men because that's all she kind of knew. Cindy was tiny, mostly muscle, apparently. It's reported from several people that she could very easily beat up a 250-pound person. <laughs> Ima- I- <laughs> Imagine getting your ass beat. By like a 4'9". Oh, gorilla. Named, named Cindy Hindi. <laughs> Cindy Handy. Chipotle Super Burrito in one. <laughs> Cindy ends up having a son when she is 16 by her late 20s. And then by her late 20s, she has two daughters. So she has three kids, all by different men. Cindy Handy don't play. No, she don't. She couldn't really take care of them, so she still lived on the streets um, and was doing an insane amount of cocaine at this point. When her youngest child was around 10, she sent them to live with her grandparents, a.k.a. her parents, the kids' grandparents, a.k.a. the same guy who sexually abused her. In oh, this is so sad. Wait, I, yeah, I just, I don't know what this is building up to, but it's all it's pretty horrible so far. Now you know how I feel during these recordings. <laughs> wherever we end up is not going to be a good place. It's not. I feel like I've gone through a whole family tree and it's just like this shit's gonna burn down at the end. (laughs) Oh, it will. It's gonna burn. Without any actual fire, though. Um, In 1997, Cindy gets into trouble for selling cocaine to an undercover cop. Smooth. She was 37 at this point. Um, She was told to take a drug course, but she didn't want to. So logically, she decided to bail out and leave for New Mexico. She moves to a town. This is the town name. Truth or Consequences. Bullshit. No. It's true. What? Truth or Consequences. Where do I know that from? It got its name because they asked, some radio company asked some town to name their town after their radio station, and they would come record there. So they, some town was like, yeah, it'll be Truth or Consequences. Dude, that's. They go by T or C now. That's that's a Foo Fighter lyric. Truth or consequence. <laughs> Sing it aloud. I don't know what the words are after this. <laughs> there goes the <laughs> that's, ex- that's what it is. Look it up. That's, Look it up. that's a Doctor Who reference, too. FYI. Yeah, oh. Truth or Consequences. That's the town they go to. Oh, All right. okay. All right, Cindy so, Handy's a nerd, too. Okay. Yeah, she lives in Truth or Consequences now. I didn't know that was a real place. Yep. <laughs> New Mexico. It's not just in your mind. She becomes a sort of bar rat at this point, an overall kind of piece of shit. You know, she kind of already was. She gets busted for a DUI almost right away. She gets 30 days in, 30 days in jail and six months probation and 50 hours of community service. Where does she do her community service? At Elephant oh, Butte Lake State Park. Oh, where no. one David Parker oh, Ray works. Oh, no. oh, it's all coming together. Oh. So the two hit it off. They become oh, no. regulars at the local Blue Water Saloon. They both learn that they share a love for sadism. Oh, no. True love. There's somebody oh, for everyone. Yeah. yeah. I could never be into sadism. I would just cry the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Some people are into that, though. Yeah. So. Yeah. Obviously not Jimmy. 
Honestly, <laughs> honestly for me, they'd be like, they'd be like, what's the safer? I'd be like, pineapple. And then they would just yell at me, like, get on your knees. I'm like, pineapple! <laughs> <laughs> By January of 1999, Cindy winds up moving in with David. They were together for just eight months, which, I, I mean, we can't really talk. We were, you moved in, like, at, like, three months. <laughs> I was already in your place at, like, two. What are we talking about? Yeah. I got the key at, like, three months. Yeah. I honestly expect them, expected them to go longer. I mean, they're still... <laughs> so, we're gonna, we're gonna set a scene here. It is March 22nd, 1999, 3.22 p.m. A 911 call is placed to Sierra County. And it's a weird call, considering that the caller isn't responding. There's no talking. The operator, however, could hear a clear fight happening. Soon after, the phone is hung up. And when the operator calls back, a woman answers the phone. This woman was clearly annoyed. She was out of breath. She told them that she just accidentally called 911 because I, I always accidentally call 911. She says everything's fine and just hangs up. The dispatcher is like... That's the worst thing you can do. Yeah, no. I yeah. accidentally called 911 once and I just immediately hung up. That was the worst mistake ever yeah, as a little don't kid. Do that. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, no, like five minutes later, cops are at the house. Like, <laughs> Yeah. So this dispatcher was like, something's clearly wrong here. So they decide to send an officer to do a welfare check. A deputy is then sent to the address, which is 513 Bass Road. Mm -hmm. So while this deputy is on the way, two state park employees hear this on the police radio in the office and decide that they want to offer their assistance because why not? They obviously have nothing better to do. When they get near... They notice a car is pulled over on the side of the road. A woman is waving them down. They speak to her. Um, the woman is distraught. She's kind of flustered because she just saw a naked woman covered in blood with a collar and chain around her neck running down the road. Normal. Jesus, what? They. I, oh my God! I would be so scared. <laughs> <of this. laughs> I don't think I'd be True able to life like, advice. stay at that. Point. Don't approach. Yeah. Don't approach yeah. any of this. Like, be like, I'm gonna call nine one one, but lock your door. Stay in your car. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah real talk. You don't know where Ugh. they're. If they're a part of it, you don't know where whoever did this to them is at. Yeah, the where the purpose. You gotta look out for your number one for yourself. Yeah, <laughs> real talk. Ugh. Um, so Just keep your headlights on them. Um, these state troopers, they have this woman stay where she is, and with police on their way, they decide to head to the house where the call had been placed. Maybe it was connected somehow. So they were the first ones on the scene. The house is surrounded by a chain link fence with a beware dog sign on it. But no one ever heard a dog, so it's unsure if they actually had one or not. A sign on the fence also reads David P. Ray, 513 Bass Road. And a sign that kind of looks like one you would see in state parks. And also a sign of beware Cindy Hindi. (laughs) (laughs) Um, the house looked dirty, it was in disrepair, it was crappy, it had a flat metal roof. Um, around the house were piles of trash, remnants of semi-truck trailers, old boats, decrepit sheds, it was a piece of crap. No one answered the door when the park rangers knocked, so while waiting for the police to get there, another, another 911 call is placed. Uh-huh. This one is for, like, people just seeing a naked and bloody woman running down with a chain around her neck. 
and a nearby road. Um, she was knocking on doors. No one was home. She was trying to flag down cars. Um, the deputy gets to the house. The rangers tell them that no one was home, but, like, literally a 911 call was just placed minutes before. So, they searched the perimeter. They entered the home to make sure that no one was injured or anything. They weren't able to do a full search without a warrant, but they were able to do the welfare check and enter the house and mm. see what was inside. They see some pretty fucked up shit, but we'll get to what they see in a minute. Um, <laughs> as they're searching the house, though, another 911 call is placed. Oh my God. Quote, this is the quote from the 911 call. Yes, I'm calling for a young lady that ran into the house. She says she has just been raped. She has a chain on her and everything. Send someone right away. This lady's naked and everything else. Said they've been holding her for three days. End of quote. What's everything else? <laughs> I don't understand. It's all You'll find out. out. Oh, no. <laughs> um, a different deputy responds to this 911 call. He goes to the home. An elderly man is outside waving them down. His name is Donald. He tells them that this woman barged into the home in a panic, begging them for help. His wife, Darlene, called 911 right away. She was currently inside trying to calm this woman down, trying to help her out. This woman, as Donald is telling them this, she runs out to the officer. She's now in a pink bathrobe that Donald had put on her. The officer could see that she was cut, bruised, beaten, and bloody. She had a collar around her neck that was padlocked. She also had a chain that was somewhere around five feet long that was attached to the collar. When she ran out of the house to the officer, she was screaming, quote, please don't let them get me, end quote. This woman is 22-year-old Cynthia Hill. She was kidnapped days earlier. She had been chained up inside the house, raped repeatedly, and tortured. She didn't know the address of the house, but she knew that these people's faces and the fact that they went by Dave and Cindy. Say no more, fam. Say no more. <laughs> you can't just say Cindy. Cindy Hindi. Cindy Hindi. You go, you go, you go into the bathroom in the dark and you say Cindy Hindi three times. <laughs> She's gonna fear. <laughs> she then points to the police and says that Dave is one of them. Note the park ranger uniform is very similar to the police uniform, so she very much thought she, he was a police officer. So, another park ranger who was about to leave for the day, he hears on the scanner the events happening. He hears the 513 Bass Road address, and he knows that it's the home of a state park employee. So he decides to go and assist, because apparently park rangers have nothing better to do. Yeah, one of his sons in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> so, as he leaves, um, and as he's on his way, he passes a cream-colored RV. He recognizes Dave and Cindy inside, waves at them as they drive by. Uh, dude. <laughs> I have three bodies in the back, probably. But as soon as he goes to the house, he realizes, oh shit, it's Dave's house. He goes, so he's like, fuck, they're probably fleeing. Tells the police, and they all head off to try and catch them. This park ranger is the one who ends up finding them again. Uh-oh. The police all caught up, um, and they thought that these that they were gonna like escape through the desert, but they're stupid and they just ended up going through town. The ranger you always go off road. Nah, we're just gonna we're just gonna go through town. The ranger gets them to pull over. They're surrounded by police. 
David calls out, quote, this isn't necessary, end quote, which is bullshit. Um, <laughs> he gets out and is immediately arrested. Cindy gets out. She is bleeding from a huge gash above her left ear. She is also arrested, but, a take, but taken to a hospital. No self-inflicted. Or Actually, from no. when the woman... Oh. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> you might have been how she got away. Yeah. So what is it in... It's New Mexico, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I'm just like Breaking Bad here right now. I'm like, <laughs> they get away in an RV. These people are trying to run away in an RV. That is very Breaking Bad. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it was inspired. Maybe. Because uh, uh-huh. this is 1997 now? No, 99. Oh, yep. Sorry, too many years behind. (laughs) All right. So David is taken to Richard R. Cooper Boat Safety Training Center that was in the state park. It was closest, and apparently they had better resources than the police department. (laughs) Well, wait, what? (laughs) What was the name of this place again? The town. Boats, no, no. Boat safety. Richard R. Cooper Beep. Boat Safety Training Center. God, that is a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> um, the local police then call on the state police because they're just not equipped for any of this. Why not? So let's go back and see what the original officers found in the house. Oh no! So when they go in, all the winder- winders, winders, <laughs> all the winders, the old winders. <laughs> I got that. The new brain. Um, all the windows are covered in a thick, dark shade that keeps all the light out. The living room was dark and dirty, like quarter style gross. Oh, no. It also had a bed in the corner of the living room, you know, like every house has. <laughs> there is also broken glass around the bed, a broken lamp, the mattress was stained in blood, and there was a bloody ice pick laying oh. next to the bed. Oh, no. In the four corners of this living room bed were shackles and padlocks that were clearly there to keep whoever was chained up spread evil. Above the bed was a pulley system of chains and hooks dangling down. Against the wall nearby was a human-sized box that resembled a coffin. Inside of it were more chains and shackles clearly there to hold somebody inside. Um, they could tell, obviously, a fight happened based on the glass and the lamp and the bloody ice pick, but, like, what the fuck is all this other shit? They continue to look around the house. They find a pegboard with a bunch of torture devices hanging on it, mostly DIY stuff. They go... (laughs) This guy's a mechanic. Saving money. Yeah, Yeah. real talk. They go even further into the home, into one of the bedrooms. Inside were two giant chains hanging down from the ceiling and even more hooks and restraints. I'd love to see what this guy's... Sibian ran off of a car generator. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to see what this guy's, like, high school science... There's a generator that comes into play. Oh, God. So, the walls were covered in hardcore porn, along with some crude drawings of women. What else would they be covered in? (laughs) Wallpaper? Art? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure there was some of that. Yeah. (laughs) There was a bed and a dresser. Um... On top of the dresser were pliers, scissors, clamps, harnesses, muzzles, and a variety of sex toys in all different sizes and shapes. What was this guy's job? He's a state mechanic. Park. Yeah. State, yeah. Park state Park. Yeah, State Park. Oh, yeah, State Park. Never mind, never mind. Sorry, guys. Yeah, that government sex toys. This is where your money's going. Yeah. Oh, that's so much. <laughs> Jeez. So Brings this... a whole new meaning to rabbit, huh? <laughs> <laughs> So this is what they found on their initial search. Um, and we'll get into what they find when they actually have a warrant 
later on. A state police officer arrives to help around 6 p.m. He tells everyone to not talk to David, that they need to talk to Cynthia first and foremost to get the most information from her while it's all fresh in her mind. She is at the hospital. She had arrived around 4 p.m. Apparently, she just kept repeating to herself, I'm safe here. Like, she just kept going, I'm safe here, I'm safe here, I'm safe here. Self-comforting. She hadn't eaten since before she was kidnapped. So, they tried to feed her, but she just ended up throwing it back up. Yeah, you gotta ease that into people. Um, She was covered from head to toe in cuts and bruises. She had a lot of external injuries, included burns, puncture wounds, cuts, bruising. Nothing was fatal, though. The collar on her was causing her the most distress, obviously. So, they get a hospital maintenance worker to come and cut it off of her, and when it was... Apparently, she, like, launched it across the room, like, just chucked it, and then immediately... Yeet! (laughs) Immediately, she calmed down. Um, I bet. Yeah. Now, remember, Cindy had a gash on her. It was taken to the hospital. Yep. Mm. They were stupid as fuck, and they wound up escorting her right past Cynthia. Cynthia freaks out, starts to scream, that's her, don't let her in, she's here for me. And she's, like, screaming and screaming and, like, freaking the fuck out. Like, you escape from these people and then suddenly one of your captors... Yeah, they're they're just, like, like, carted right by you. So, Cindy, when she walks past, she points at Cynthia and says, quote, that girl should be checked. The bitch is on heroin. Lies. Yeah. Um, Or she is and they put it in her. Yeah. Yeah. That's my guess, yeah. So, Cindy is then checked. She tells the doctor that she was hit in the head with a lamp. She is treated and then released back to the police. So, what happened to Cynthia? They interview her and she opens right up and tells them everything. She tells them that she lost her mom at a very young age. She turned to drugs to try and cope. She was estranged from her family and wound up as a sex worker and she did use heroin. But the last time she used was two days before the kidnapping. So, March 20th. Between 10 and 11 a.m., Cynthia had been walking to a restaurant in Albuquerque, New Mexico. She was walking through a parking lot when she ran into someone that she knew. This person pointed to a motorhome and said that the guy inside wanted to hire her for her services that evening. She was desperate and needed money, so she goes over. The man inside was older, tan, kind of wrinkly skinned, had slicked back, light-colored hair, a bushy mustache, an exact description of one David Parker Ray. The two discuss price. He introduces himself as David. Everything seemed fine. And as they drive out of the parking lot, David shows her a police badge and tells her that she is under arrest for solicitation. Mm. At this point, Cindy comes from behind a curtain that was just behind Cynthia, and she tries to handcuff her, but Cynthia says, fuck this, this felt wrong. She starts to fight. David pulled over and managed to get one cuff on Cynthia, um, pulls her to the back of the RV and tries to hand her to a pipe, but she's still fighting. So Cindy Hinde pulls out a <laughs> cattle prod and threatens her with it. Oh, they chain her to the pipe and they get back on the road. David in the driver's seat, Cindy in the passenger seat. Cynthia was not ready to give up. She's messing with the strengths. And she notices that as she's messing with them, the screws of the pipe are beginning to loosen. 
So slowly and quietly, she starts one by one unscrewing each one of the screws. She manages to slip off the pipe. Nice. Right then, though, they stop at a traffic light, something oh, nice. she was not prepared for and falls into a wall, causing some noise. Cindy hears it, gets up, uses the cataprod to make her comply. They strip her naked, duct tape her mouth, and chain her to a different part of the RV. Um, <clears throat> Cynthia tells police that as they drive, it was very, very long. They ended up stopping for gas at one point. Cindy used a gun to keep Cynthia quiet, warning her that if she screamed, they would kill her. They ended up driving a total of 150 miles, arriving back at David's home. They pull up right up to the house so that Cynthia couldn't see any of her surroundings. She had no clue where she was. They shackle her ankles and bring her quickly inside. She is led down a hallway towards the living room. The bed was stuffed into a corner with a bunch of trash around it. At this point, she instantly had the collar put on her neck. Like, as soon as she's put into the house, she has that put on her neck. The end of that five-foot chain was hooked up to one of the hooks on the wall above the bed. She is then chained into the bed, spread eagle style. She is blindfolded and gagged, and then she hears the tape recorder turn on, and the tape begins to play. Oh, From the God. beginning. That's right. She hears the whole 45-minute tape. It is a two-sided tape. Like, it's a whole thing. Um, and remember, he played this for everybody. Um, it was his sort of orientation. The tape, in the tape, it was, he says that he recorded it in 1993. We're in 1999. So, oh, no. this has happened before. Um, so clearly he had, be plan he had been planning to do this for years and has been doing it for years. And the tape, he also mentions the fact that he's done it before, that he made this tape from his experiences before, that he just got tired of like telling the woman the same shit over and over and decided to make this tape. Um... So, so Cynthia tells the police that, quote, the way he talked, I didn't feel this was his first time. It was like he knew what he was doing. He told me I was never going to see my family again. He told me he would kill me like the others, end quote. She was then later led into a room that had whips and other torture devices. Um mixed with legit metal equipment like scalpels and forceps. She was then hung by chains to the ceiling, sexually assaulted, and tortured while she was hanging. They used an old motor that was attached by clamps and cables to give shocks for extended periods of time. Mm. I believe that it was attached to her breasts, but I'm not 100% on that. The shocks were so bad that she would pass out several times. She also told them that when they weren't actively raping or torturing her, they would chain her up to the bed in the living room by her limbs and her neck, and they would sit on the couch and just sit and watch TV. Gotta take breaks, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Self-care. Self-care. Oh, my God. Snacks? <laughs> <laughs> she also told them that David took several photos of her, and he also showed her photos of other women. So, the morning of March 22nd, she wakes up to see that David was in his park ranger uniform, 
what she thought was a police uniform. And before he left, he told Cynthia that he had a surprise for her. His toy box. This toy box had been mentioned before vaguely around her, but she had no clue what it was, and thankfully she would never find out. Um, before he left for work, he thought that she was too weak and exhausted to try anything, so he removed the chains from her arms and legs, but kept the one around her neck chained to the wall. The whole time that morning, she was alone with lovely Cindy Hindi, who just watched TV. Around 3 p.m., the phone rang, and Cindy got up to answer. She set the keys to Cynthia's restraints on the coffee table. She then walks into the kitchen. Cynthia takes this opportunity and begins to stretch her leg out towards the coffee table. She manages to hook her, hook her leg <laughs> around it and pull it closer to her. She grabs the key, and instead of unlocking it right away like anyone might have, she like thinks, she takes a moment, she pauses, she's like, all right, I need to be smart about this. Cindy could walk in at any moment. So she slowly begins to push the coffee table back to its spot. So that way if Cindy did come back, she wouldn't see anything amiss and like mm -hmm. just think it's fine. But as her leg is outstretched, Cindy Hindi comes back in. Oh, Cindy Hindi, Cindy Hindi, Cindy Hindi. She sees her, is obviously pissed about it. She drops the phone and lunges at her and tries to get the keys back. Cynthia was not willing to give up at this point. She'd come so far, she had the keys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Cindy grabs the lamp and hits Cynthia with it. Remember, Cindy said she was the one that was hit the lamp. Mm -hmm. But no, she fucking hit Cynthia. Cindy with it. Not Cindy. Cynthia. Fucking <laughs> similar sometimes. names. Yeah. Keep up. Cynthia <laughs> said that she was so full of adrenaline that she didn't even feel the lamp hit her in the head. Um, while they wrestle, Cynthia manages to grab the phone. She dials 911, and this is the first initial phone call. When Cindy ended the call, Cynthia grabbed an ice pick that was just lying on the ground and slashes Cindy in the back of the neck, which dazes her. Get it, girl. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be, I'd be more than dazed with a slash to the back of the neck. Yeah. Um, so Cynthia quickly unlocks herself, and she just bolted. She ran out of the house. She had no clue where she was. She was 150 miles from home. So she just begins to run around and ends up seeing Donald and Darlene's double-wide mobile home. What? <laughs> say that ten times fast. <laughs> but for real, say it again one more time, please. <laughs> she ends up seeing Donald and Darlene's double-wide mobile home. <laughs> Donald and Darlene's double-wide <laughs> mobile home. Yep. She begged Just Darlene. <laughs> she begged Darlene to not let them get her. And so Darlene told police that Cynthia's wrist looked like hamburger meat from the chains. Whoa. Um, oh. That... That's just awful. <laughs> she also told them that she had beautiful, long, dark brown hair, but it was all matted with blood. She had dirt all over her. Her breasts were black and blue, and she had more bruising on her arms and legs. Donald heard all this commotion, comes from the bedroom to see what's going on. Um, as soon as he sees Cynthia, um, um, as soon as... Cynthia sees Donald. She begs him to get the collar off, and he really, really wanted to, but he's like, I don't want to mess with evidence and, like, tamper with shit. Smart, Smart. on his part, yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, so, instead, he grabs a pink bathrobe to put on her to help try and comfort her. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, his yeah. wife called 911, um, 
And while they wait for police, apparently Cynthia hid under the kitchen table just shivering because she was so scared. Mm. So that's part one. Jesus. We're going to stop there and take a quick break. Um, that's a lot to... So come back for the next episode and we'll conclude our David Parker Ray the Toy Box Killer. And we'll actually get into the toy box. So follow us on Instagram at Murder Library Podcast and on Facebook at True Crime Library and we'll see you in the conclusion. Yay. See you in the toy box. <laughs> no. Oh, no. no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> this isn't the toy story we want. Oh. Oh.